Witty remark. This is the Andy Kick is Good podcast. Hit the music. Yes, so Tom once again is having audio issues. If that witty breakdown of his usual intros didn't tell you, Tom is now having more issues and cannot join us at the moment. We hope that he joins us at some point. So you have myself, Bradley, and Colm. Correct. How are you doing, bud? How was your Christmas? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm still eating leftovers um, and then just other bits that, you know, get forgot, forgot about. So tomorrow I need to eat a whole camembert before that goes off. That's, uh, <laughs> that's an adventure for me. Have you um, get some nice bread, hopefully? Hopefully the thing's over. Yeah, I bought an entire loaf of tiger bread, so that's going to be a compliment yeah. for it. Yeah, you're going to get through that. You're going to get through that. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, I made a whole, uh, you know, Christmas dinner for myself. Well, for you know, me and my family. Did you microwave well. your duck? I did not microwave my duck. Everything came out perfectly, except for uh, after everyone left, um, I realised I'd forgotten something, and that was that I'd left the stuffing in the oven um, and was burnt to an absolute cinder. That so is <laughs> disappointing. I... Yes. It was one of my first Christmas got my mum's stuffing and I had a different sort of stuffing than I was used to because my mum usually makes like a bread-based stuffing mm-hmm. and this one was more of a, like a pork meat-based stuffing, which was fine, but like I was like, I'm used to having like pretty much like a plate of stuffing and a plate of roast dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I got this small thing, I'm like, I'm like oh, okay, that's fair enough. Like I appreciate the meal, but like, yeah, it was good. D- question, did you have Yorkshire's with your Christmas dinner? I made my Yorkshire's and I will send you a photo of them. I didn't have any Yorkshire's, uh, so... Um, uh, just for the listeners, a formal complaint will be raised with the mother-in-law um, to, <laughs> to, to resolve uh, this going forward. I'm just going to send you all my photos from uh, how I did at Christmas, because you will. I think you'll be fairly impressed that I had made most... I'd done all this. I, um, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Any good presents? Uh, I got an apron. For my uh, kitchen. Nice. Did they uh, say? Did they give that to you before or after you started cooking? Whilst I was cooking, <laughs> uh, uh, I was given two hand whisks. Uh, no, sorry, uh, like you know, uh, electric whisks by two different people because <laughs> I had to make a cake uh, a month or so ago, and I didn't have. I was telling people I didn't have a ha- um, electric whisk. So I had to go to my dad's to get his. So both my dad and my aunt have purchased me uh, electric whisks. So. I'm hoping uh, there's nothing that you've been telling us on the podcast that you needed because we didn't get you anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were like, yeah, we need to... No, I noticed. about trees or something and we were like, uh, me and Tom just completely missed on that. <laughs> we did not pick up on the hints. <laughs> For the listener at home, I've just received five photos of Colm's meal of what he cooked, including two of Colin himself, one posing uh, quite happily with his duck, um, which does look lovely. Uh, and, and a bit of Buck's Fizz. But it caused an absolute tear-up of our <laughs> audio. So, uh, we will... As I was asking you before the uh, disconnection, yes. um, how was your Christmas? Did you get any good presents? It was good. I got lovely presents. I'm going to go see Hamilton. I Ooh. got a lovely pair I've of slippers. I've seen Hamilton now three times, oh, uh, okay. including the night before it opened. I went to uh, the final preview. Oh, well, And I met... I met various people who were in the cast and Ron Chernow, who uh, wrote the biography 
met Alex Lackamore, who obviously did all the music for Hamilton. Um, yeah, had a great time. Despite being from like what the eighteen hundreds, that is, which is about where Tony's pop culture starts off. He still won't yeah. know any of the names that are mentioned both modern day yeah. and from that time. Um, yeah, so let's see Hamilton. I got an all-in-one cooking pan, which I'm actually really looking forward to get started on. And, yeah, a bunch of other little bits. And t- to be honest, I think the, the main thing I look forward to at Christmas is just these days. Between Christmas yeah. and New Year's, where you just get to do whatever you want, and we all get lost in a sphere of, like, what day is it, really? Like, is it Tuesday? We don't know. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's really fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying just being like, I'm just going to play play some PC games and, oh, uh, Death on a Nile's on. So I'm going to watch Death on, a Nile, Death on a Nile or, you know, uh, The Last Jewel I watched today and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Well, with that said, we have watched some football. And some football. we're actually going to start with, well, let's start with a bit of the news and then we're going to go into a, a segment around the coaching hot seat. Of this season, with two weeks to go and the new rules in place, it's a a lot more movement is expected before the traditional uh, Black Monday, as it's referred to, uh, at the end of the season. So we're gonna get we're gonna get ahead of that and look at some of the coaching situations, and then we'll just break down some games in focus as we go along. But perhaps the biggest piece of news column is the COVID changes that are happening with uh, both at a American government level and at also at a, a league level. The amended period is now from 10 days to 5 days. It's widely expected that the leagues will now follow up and adjust their periods as much, So, which should reduce the amount of players that go missing. We had a couple of games this <laughs> week that were... You know, probably would have been cancelled or moved last year. <laughs> You know, but this year <laughs> with the zero tolerance policy, it's been a bit difficult. We had a few of those games this weekend, and so yeah, they're going to look to adjust their policy um, on that side, which is still better than some companies uh, who have in the US uh, abandoned their COVID testing protocols because you can't test positive for COVID if you don't test for COVID. Apparently, yeah. The NFL doctor made a weird comment this week, which was. They have they've seen zero recorded cases of asymptomatic uh, transmission in the NFL, which I don't know. It doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you know what we know of COVID from the past eighteen months, and you know <laughs> logic dictates that you probably can have some symptomatic transmission. Yes, but you know, um, if you can't see it on the slow motion replay of the droplets flying from mouth to mouth, then it doesn't yeah. count, right? Like there's there's not verifiable. Yeah, Just... why not? That seems the most logical explanation. <laughs> <laughs> we've also had um, um I should say also on the COVID front, we've also had a glut of players, including uh more confirmation on who's vaxxed and who's not. And perhaps the least surprising update that we expected across the season, based on everything that we spoke about in the preseason, various Colts team members are unvaccinated and will now miss two games. Uh, that includes Darius Leonard and quarterback Carson Wentz, which is a pretty big loss for the Colts, right? Yeah, they're still they still haven't uh, booked a playoff place yet. They're uh, you know, still what we'd call... I think they're currently in position, but uh, still in the hunt, as it were. Yeah. And to have to start Sam Ellinger now is going to be a big ask against the Raiders, who will be facing their 
third second string QB in as many weeks, uh, which is quite an impressive run for the, uh, for the Raiders there. <laughs> yeah, for a team that uh, we were writing off as like done in the playoffs and getting out the season, they might just sneak back into wildcard contention by default at this point. Well, yes, the Raiders are, I believe, currently one game behind the Colts, and obviously to beat them on Sunday would give them the head-to-head. So not a great time if you Carson Wentz to be missing a game. No, and um, and this is the the thing, as we said, going into the season, the best ability is what? Availability. And a lot of teams are going to be missing that now. And I think, yeah, the, the only big shock so far is that Kirk Cousins has not yet tested positive. <laughs> well, to be fair, he did say he was following protocol as is. So while he's not jabbed, he's still not, you know, an issue, I guess, is, is the way to describe yeah. it. He might, he might have actually encased himself in pe- pe- plexiglass. That is, <laughs> that's what he said he'd do. <laughs> that might be the only explanation so far. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing... Yeah, he's what he can. It should be... No- yeah, the, the Raiders are currently 10th and um, in those standings. So it, it's it's going to get tight towards the end of the season uh, on that front. But we, we look forward to seeing you know what happens. Obviously, some <laughs> of this is just uh, you know self-inflicted in this case. I, th- I think my last question on the Colts front is going into their game next week. What's the over and under on Jonathan K- Taylor carries? Like, do you want to start at like thirty-two and a half as the over? Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably not a bad <laughs> chat. I'd probably I'd probably put it maybe thirty-five because that's your only way out of that game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is going to be a problem. Um, so. With that said, and, and, and it kind of alluded to the Raiders, let's move into our, our segment in which we'll also recap some of the games. We don't have detailed breakdowns of every game this week because obviously because of the festivities, we don't have a chance to watch every game. Um, we are enjoying ourselves, um, or inside enjoying ourselves in, <laughs> in the most case. But I wanted to take a look, uh, as I mentioned, at the coaching hot seat and looking at coaches who... I've not had a great record this year or are underperforming overall. And perhaps, you know, the, the, you know there are coaches that I think we that we all consider that are that are finished, you know, the, the, the he-gone situation. But there are some mm. who are maybe their seats heating up a little bit. Uh, and as you described it, Colin, that is, you know, they, they're mostly going to be fine, that they should get through the end of the season, but they're going to start the season next year where they really can't afford to be bad. Or a couple of bad weeks to close out the season might be enough to, you know, force a change, and we'll break that down. And then also there's just some who that we think are safe. It should be stated that, for obvious reasons, we're not going to cover every NFL head coach. So the likes of Matt LaFleur and Sean McDermott and Bill Belichick are, are not going to be included here. And we're also not going to include people like, say, Kevin Stefanski or Arthur Smith or Nick Sirianni or Zach Taylor because they've had enough of a season that I think we'd all just agree they're safe, right? And there's not really a kind of discussion point to really have around those. So I think you'd normally expect there to be somewhere between like five to eight vacancies, right? With probably six being the average each year. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're talking about when you know in terms of how many vacancies we expect there to be. We already know of two, so we're really looking for maybe four other names that could go along with those lists. Yeah. So and we do yes, have there's uh... very little point discussing John Harbour. <laughs> and we still do have like more than a dozen names. Like that's still how open it, it yeah. could be. 
Um, it should be noted that, yeah, we are writing off the Raiders as um, not going to keep that job. And that for Jacksonville, um, I've forgotten the name of the... Devil. And then... Um, Daryl Bevel. Daryl Bevel and Rick uh, Bisaccia were just... Yeah, I keep thinking it sounds like a biscuit. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're we're marking those guys as those jobs are available. I mean, the Jags job is available. They have requested several interviews, so we know that they're available. So, with two jobs already available and a, and a few more on the line, Colin, let's let's get us started. Who, where do you want to start? Perhaps let, let's start with the 49ers, okay? And after a loss this sure. week, which we'll we'll cover in a little bit more detail, Jimmy Garoppolo is now injured. But Carl Shanahan slips to eight and seven, and there is a growing, you know, there's a bubbling interest in the fact that Carl Shanahan kind of has a worse overall record than a lot of other head coaches in the league at the minute, including the likes of Matt Lafleur. You know, in a similar or, or less than time span. Where do you, as a 49ers fan, mark Carl Shanahan? First, can I can I see if you if you agree with this statement that no other coach seems to have opinion change about him week to week as much as Kyle Shanahan does? Um, because I mean, there was all the talk, you know, when the team were what were they one and five? Yeah, you know, he's got to be on a hot. Why why is he not on a hot seat more? He should be on a hot seat. He should be on a hot seat. A few good weeks, and suddenly it's like, oh, you know, this is the team we know they are. They're fantastic, most feared team could be the most dangerous team in the nfc you know in the playoffs lose again and suddenly it's like haven't secured playoff place yet who knows <laughs> like <laughs> um so yeah i would say they are the most week-to-week team um in terms of opinion i, I don't think i've changed my opinion personally about uh his job security going to the end of this year and into next year but you know, I've I've said my piece on this already, so I'm interested in hearing what you think. So, so where do you mark him? Safe? Uh, safe. Or hot? Is he heating up? I think. Would you mark him any closer to heating up? No, but because I think that Jedrick, the owner of the 49ers, agreed to this plan at the start. You know, uh, when the trade was made to go up and get Trey Lance, that this was. You know, the last push with Jimmy Garoppolo for a playoff place that was unsuccessful or, you know, successful or unsuccessful, it didn't matter to his job security, um, providing that the wheels didn't totally fall off the bus, which they haven't, you know, haven't done. So that's actually perfect timing, Colin, because you asked me my opinion, but Tom has fixed his issues. <laughs> so, Tom, on a scale. Oh, barely. I, I've, I've, I've worked out what the fuck was going on with my monitor situation. On a scale of safe. To heating up to he gone, where do you see Kyle Shanahan on the coaching hot seat? Not to give a complete non-answer, but I think <laughs> a lot more a lot more will become clear after this week. Um, now I think that will be very knee-jerk as well in terms of if Trey Lance does even moderately well he'll be safe for the next decade and if he begins to struggle or doesn't have a good game you know he should have been fired a month ago I think right now because they have had this you know generally winning run obviously Thursday night against the Titans was a bit of a rough one but right now he's safe and I think it's 
like I, I, that shouldn't really be a surprise, I don't think. Um, but it, it does kind of it, the the last month of the season, or I mean, what were your last two games plus probably a playoff game, is really gonna dictate how this season is remembered. Uh, in terms of what Trey Lance does, whether Jimmy's able to come back, and how and when they go out of the playoffs. <laughs> so, Colin, to answer your question of do I agree with the statement that opinion changes from week to week, I think Tom just answered that with it depends on the result <laughs> next week, um, which is totally fair. I, I think he's safe this year, but I will mark him as a heating up candidate. If it goes rocky, it goes south, I think he's still on the hot seat. You know, there needs to be some performance and if it starts bad next year and don't look any better and depending if they've you know let jimmy go and and treat and that's the point like i you've you've just kind of mentioned the point that i was going to make which is they have that decision to make garoppolo's due to earn what 26 ish million dollars on the cap next year Mm. um that is obviously going to hinder some sort of roster construction i imagine bose has got an extension coming up um, and whether you want to look at a pretty key defensive back in free agency, like that, that is going to be a stumbling block. Um, so whether they trade him away or whether they cut him, I believe it's pretty much exactly the same cap relief, whether they do either one. But that decision and then the first month of the season, you know, if they let Jimmy go, they go one and three that first month and Trey Lance just can't, can't figure it out. That is a massive difference to keeping Jimmy Garoppolo and going one and three, two and two. Isn't so it? yeah, I think consensus he lands on heating up based on the definition that we got at column. I think that is prime heating up material there. I wouldn't say that's consensus. That's a majority opinion. But I, you know, <laughs> I I've talked about this at length already. So so yeah, we got more names to get through, and some of these will be easier than others. For example, Dan Campbell for the Lions. Yes, he's 2-12-1, and and we've spoken about this previous weeks. But I think we'd all agree that he's safe. They lost this weekend to the Falcons. In a similar way, Arthur Smith at 7-8 and eight on a Falcons team that does not deserve really to be in any contention for playoffs at this point in the season. I think you can probably say both those coaches are safe, right? Like Dan Campbell's probably one of the safer coaches who could have won maybe one game all season and probably would have kept his job. Just based on how they're playing, right? Yeah, Dan Campbell reminds me of the uh, the substitute teacher that comes in after the previous uh, teacher laid out a student. Like, <laughs> he's, he's there to try and get things back Jesus. under control rather than to be the full time English teacher. But until you know, uh, he he's not under any pressure to do too much. Yep, that's uh, that's fair enough. Tom, anything to add on those? Two? I, I think the you, yeah, the, the interesting kind of one is Arthur Smith where I agree he is safe right now but if there was somehow a, a shock kind of firing or a shock availability in terms of Sean Payton or Mike Tomlin or or Harb or you know one of the guys that you don't expect to be going anywhere but you know there is generally the the um, the belief that if they do go anywhere they would be highly sought after i think the falcons would be one of those teams that would be remiss not to kind of go cheers arthur off you go and go you know go for a real proven name because their head coach tenures for the last what decade have been spotty at best i would yeah if tomlin gets available maybe right but i don't think there's a chance that sean payton crosses the border saints falcons that's a big old rivalry <laughs> you know that is 
that would make Brett Favre look, you know, what he did look like play school shit. <laughs> like, comparatively to those two markets, that would be huge. But yeah, I, but I agree. It feels totally on brand for Sean Payton to do that, right? <laughs> I, agree, I agree with it in concept, in, in, in you know, theory, for what it is. But uh, overall, I think he's safe right now. Do we. Is yeah. there enough? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, more names to roll through. Uh, we can probably mark off a few more safe ones. Robert Sala, even at 4 and 11. The Jets had a better week this week. Uh, beat the Jags on a comeback. Zach Wilson probably had his best game as an NFL player. Yes, it's the Jags, but it still counts. Um, yeah, it's still probably the best game. Uh, do you think Salah's safe, unless, Tom, you think. Maybe you make a play for one of the big names if they come available. No, I think you you brought him in knowing what he was, and um, there have been issues with the defensive side of that roster in terms of injuries, pretty much from the day they got into camp. Um, so I think that buys him another year at least, and and you just kind of hope that something gets fixed offensively. Whether you go out and make a big hire on that side of the ball. Um, or you just hope that Zach Wilson sorts it out in the second year, which generally never works. <laughs> just hoping a rookie that struggled will work out. Yeah, I'm of the same opinion. I don't, I don't see any changes happening with um, Jets this year. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Tom, you mentioned you brought up one of the names, perhaps more interesting than the others. Sean Payton. Do you think that's a, co- a case of the he's on the hot seat or... Maybe he's just looking to move on. You know, there's a change of the guard. There's no certainty at uh, the quarterback position for the Saints. They've got you know Mickey Loomis doing some wild stuff with the cap every year. Like, do you think maybe Peyton's looking to move somewhere that's got a bit more of a immediate you know future in the next three to five years? Nah, not at all. Um, Colm, I'm sure, will battle me on this because he's one of those many people that thinks he's destined to end up in Dallas or wherever. But um, no, that defense is top three, top five in the league. Um, The offense, considering it lost Kamara for stretches, it lost Michael Thomas before the season even started, (laughs) multiple times, (laughs) really, um, and has started the, the carousel of Trevor Simeon, Ian Book, uh, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston and it's still kind of generally considered to be an alright team um, that that talks to the depth that they have they lost pieces in free agency and, and through kind of that cap management this, this past off season but it is still one of the best rosters in the league and with another off season to hopefully tailor it a little bit more and like if their week one starter next season is Winston they would be one of the favourites in the NFC to at least reach like the divisional round. Cool. So more of a he's safe, but if he leaves, it's like a personal decision. Like he's safe from like the hot seat. It would just be purely. Payton. I'd be shocked if he went. Like, I, but in terms of even if he chose to go, where where would you choose to go? Well, I think Chicago. He, the only thing I could, yeah, the only thing I could see him doing is like you said, maybe like a Dallas job, which might I think is probably his dream job. But otherwise, it's like he gets offered $20 million a year to go sit in the booth with Drew Brees on Monday night or whatever. I see. Well, you say it's a dream job, but he didn't go for it two years ago when Brees was on his last legs. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think maybe 
I could see the booth being an option for him, but otherwise it's his job as long as he wants it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you're you're a brave man that puts a live microphone in front of <laughs> Sean Payton for three hours and are like live, jeez. Um, I tipped my hat a little bit to it as one of the places he could go. Obviously, there's still a head coach there for right now. But Matt Nagy. Now, this feels like one of the more slam dunk, he gone situations. Anyone got a case for anything different? No, well, they haven't but... fired him yet. So, <laughs> if there's a chance, there's a chance if he just keeps his head down, doesn't really respond to any emails or anything like that. They might think it's already happened, and therefore, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> just he might just be able to slink into next season. Yeah, the only case to keep uh, keep him next year is legally he's under contract for next year. But <laughs> I don't think I, th- I think Chicago would burn if they if they bring him back for another year, right? Yeah, I think Chicago's already burning at the fact that he's not gone. <laughs> I think Fire Nagy chance have appeared at every single Chicago sporting event for the past month or something like that. Like every major sporting event has had at least one um, across sports. Mm. So. Matt Nagy's hot seat is so hot he's due to guest star on. Uh, Fuck, I forgot the TV show. Is it uh, Chicago Heat? Chicago Chicago Fire? Chicago Fire. No, that's, that's the name it. of a football team. Right? Oh. <laughs> what is that shit? No, Chicago Blue? No, it's not it. No. It, it's some, some random CBS advertised thing. Yeah. Or, or, or whatever it is. <laughs> Too much passive advertising. Like hasn't really worked. So yeah, M- yeah Matt Nagy exactly. is a he gone candidate, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, yes. If he makes it... If he makes it to, I mean, what's Black Monday is still called, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if he makes it to that, like to midnight on Sunday, and it hasn't been announced that he's fired, <laughs> I'll be shocked. Fair enough. Uh, it should be noted the Bears actually did pull off a miraculous comeback victory, which was uh, against the Seahawks, which was perhaps the most viewed game in the New York market that weekend, based on the fact that these two teams were competing <laughs> for the Jets and the Giants draft pick. Um, yeah, they pulled the comeback behind victory, but the script has flipped, and we've alluded to this bit, we've broken down a little bit, but pressure seems to be building in Seattle, and it seems to be one way or the other. Is it Pete Carroll, or is it Russell Wilson that's going to be gone? Now, Tom, before you jump in and just give us a million reasons why <laughs> Russell Wilson isn't moving, Colm, do you have any... What's your take on the position? Like, where do you where do you see Pete Carroll? Is he a Sean Payton that he's as safe as long as he wants it, or is his seat heating up to the point where it's like, you, you know, yeah, he's getting he's getting to the point where he, he he might leave of his own violation. So I have no sources for this. I don't have any sort of inside scoop, but I <laughs> get the sense he's already me. been told that he's been fired and he's just coaching out to the end of the season. So, something about the body language, something about the way that team's operating just feels like it's going through the motions at the moment. And it, it's a case where I think, it, you know, it's just reached the end of its journey. Uh, Pete Carroll with the Seahawks. They'll look back at it as, you know, one of the best dynasties of the 2010s. D- and, dynasties? Yeah, you know, a 10-year dynasty. You call that a dynasty, right? No, Dynasty is about winning like multiple. I call, I call it an era. They won. How many did they win? They win two Lombardies. Two and went won two, three. One and then no, no one. One against the Broncos. Yeah, and lost. Uh, uh, and lost to the Patriots. They lost oh, the lost one against the Patriots. Apologies. Um, either way, uh, you know, 
had a fantastic era there, should we put it that way? Um, but I, I feel like it's just come to the end of its journey, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, yeah, Pete Cowell is told he's already been moved on. So, could take a lot of other jobs. I, I think he'd be a very interesting candidate for the Jaguars job, as I mentioned last week, but I don't see him in Seattle uh, start week one next year. Now, Tom, Colin mentioned that Carl Shanahan opinions might change from him on week to week. Perhaps Russell Wilson is the QB equivalent of that position. Now, tell us, do you think Pete Carroll's going? Russell uh, Russell Wilson's going? Like, where's, where's, where, where, where do you see it breaking down here? Because it looks like it has already, right? Uh, yes, it does appear from the outside as though it, there's a mismatch there. Um, but four or five months of off-season can make one hell of a difference. Um, they need to make a lot of... Um, like, I don't, they don't necessarily need to make a lot of splashy signings, but they need to get in a, diff- a lot of different bodies, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But they, we, we sit here now, and, and we sat here four months ago going, Russell Wilson's destined to leave after this season. And I just I still don't see it. And... Pete Carroll basically this time last year, I think it was November last year, signed a deal until 2025. Does one bad season make them kind of bail on that? Do, do they go, you know, your, your time has run short here, you, you know, your message no longer holds any weight, etc., which they, they might well do, but they don't feel like that, like they want to be that type of franchise now. They feel like they, they want to be the ones that commit to a head coach for that long. Now, granted, we've just seen Gruden get fired, what, three or four years into a 10-year deal. But the Raiders and the Seahawks... Should be noted, uh, he resigned. Well, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> um, But, yeah, I, anything that is kind of that big of an issue, I feel like it would have like really come out by now, right? Because what we heard was kind of murmurings before the season and murmurings in the off-season but nothing has boiled over. Now, is that because Russell Wilson is one of the best, like, image PR people in the entire league in terms of it is, like, sickening, sickeningly vanilla, <laughs> but he is a sponsor's wet dream. So, you know, it is what it is. And so he doesn't want that to get out because it could, you know, stop the next $500 million endorsement that he's going to sign with, like, Dollar some Shave of, Club or something. I think some sort of, like, but, brainwater thing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> no, concussion reducing but, water he drinks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like those yogurt adverts that Cam Newton was doing a while ago. Um, so it could be that, but you hear, you know, when something isn't right behind the scenes to the level that people was playing up the relationship between Wilson and uh, Pete Carroll after fifteen, sixteen weeks of a bad season, that that shit comes out. There's and, still time. And the fact that there just isn't anything. Well, there's still time. Oh, of course there is. But there has been there has been since basically since the season started, there has been nothing about it. And for that reason, I reckon it is generally water under the bridge. Russell's kind of happy there. I don't think Carol wants another job anywhere. I don't think they necessarily want to go out and try and find another head coach because all well and good, they're off a they're coming you know, they're gonna come off a very bad season right now. But if you get in another head coach who takes over what is generally a pretty poor roster and he goes four and thirteen next year or five and twelve, then kind of people are like, Well, hang on, why did we fire Pete Carroll? 
I was going to so, be my point is that the, what complicates matters more is that they gave a six-year deal to the general manager last year. So they clearly believe in John Schneider and he was the guy that helped build the Legion of Boom. But there's very clearly, you know, that... <clears throat> this could be something you'd look at it and go, well, the Seattle team, their issue is the roster construction. So let's fire the GM. But they just made a very public, you know, display of support for their GM. So yeah, I think it, it always varies from franchise to franchise how much they care about fan opinion. Like, obviously, Green Bay have a, a lot of investment from their fans, particularly financially. And if, you know, Dan Schneider actually listened to the fans, it wouldn't be raining piss water on, you know, on their seats in the stadium. <laughs> I'm not sure where the Seattle fall on that, but I think from what I'm seeing online, a lot of Seahawks fans do want this era to come to an end. Something has to change. Yep, and that, that's that's easy to say now, but wait until you're two years down the line with like Anthony Lynn, for example. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, like, I'm not. I'm not Pete disputing guy that. was pretty good. I'm not disputing that. That's just uh, you know, if fan opinion means anything, yeah, that's how I think the sure. fans currently feel. So where do we mark him? Safe, heating up. Uh, I'm putting him on. I... Uh, he's gone. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh yeah, but, yeah. You did say you yeah, think it's a secret until he's gone. Um, so I think he is safe, but I think there there is a pathway to where he is not the head coach by week one next I'll year. I'll call it down the middle and say it's heating up. I would not be surprised. Two more bad results, something needs to change. You're either trading Russ or you're not, and that can only lead to change you know one other position really. So we'll mark down um, Pete Carroll as as heating up. Uh, talking about teams, column you mentioned whether teams give a shit about fan opinion or not. Uh, reports this week are that Joe Judge is secured for next year uh, as the head coach of the New York Giants. I personally think this one is just prime heating up material. We haven't announced the new general manager yet. A bad start, and he's and he's done. Um, he has a ten and twenty one record over the, these two seasons. It could still get worse, most likely will get worse with these final two weeks, but for right now, with how the reports are and what the Giants are doing, it just feels like he's heating up and I'll celebrate it like when Ben McAdoo got fired. <laughs> I mean, anyone got anything I else? I think <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, Daniel Jones missed games last year as well, mm-hmm. right? And so he came, so his first year head coach during a COVID pandemic and has to deal with everything that came along with that. Lost his expectant starting left tackle, Nate Solder, last year to a like COVID opt-out, who, you know, he, he's not exactly an all-pro left tackle, but those types of things as are just not what you want as a first-year head coach. Comes into this second year, Barkley gets injured, what, a couple of weeks Barclay in. Barkley missed most then of the last Daniel year Jones goes. Well. Yeah, but that's you know he he would have been one of the main reasons that you would have taken because you could go I can try to commit to a running game I've got this mobile QB with a decent arm like I can do stuff with this and the defense for you know two to three week stretches have looked above average you know they've looked like a yeah. good defense and and what you've got there is generally the makings of a anywhere between seven and nine and nine and whatever it is now <laughs> eight team. Um, but he has just never had the pieces drop anywhere kindly for him. Having said that, I think that fits exactly what you said in terms of 
it, you know, if they have any sort of like middling buy next year, by you know, week seven, week eight, and they are, you know, a two win team by that point, then you are likely saying goodbye, mate. Thanks for all the fish. Yeah, my, my counterpoint to that is there are plenty of other coaches in the league that are making chicken salad out of chicken shit, and we ain't even seen an attempt. Sure. At chicken salad. You know, we've been served up chicken shit and been told, hey, chicken shit's what's on the menu today. Now go do 20 laps. Like, that is the issue for the Giants, is that, uh, and for Joe Judge, is that there's nothing, there doesn't seem to be anything there. You know, there's no, there's no spark. There's no. He, he's not, he's not an expert anything. tactician. He's not a great leader of men. He's not a, you know, I, he doesn't have that standout quality to him from what I can see from the no. outside. And, and yeah, there was this thing about the, the, you know, we did the most, our team did the most donations ever to the support staff. And, you know, that was led by Judge and the players like playing for him. But look at a Dan Campbell or the next candidate, David Cully. And it's a completely, you know, it's night and day between how those coaches are leading and what we're seeing there versus what we're seeing from from Joe Judge. So I, I think he's heating up, as you say. There's a lot of extenuating factors. Gettleman is gone. That's just yet to be announced. But yeah, that's pretty much the prevailing theories that were already being linked with several general managers. So yeah, I think that's the that's the case. He, he's very much heating up going into next season. Colm, anything, anything different to add on that? Or do you want to lead on Mr. David Cully of the Houston Texans? The, the only thing I want to add is I'm an advocate of if you're going to, uh, like, you know, change a guard, fire your head coach, um, or, you know, get rid of your QB or whatever, I, I prefer seeing teams do it all at once rather than, you know, bit by bit, because I think it makes it hard to recruit a, a new head coach coming in if you're going to stick with Daniel Jones next year or if you you know yeah um, okay. get rid of Daniel Jones and keep judge for a year then you you're kind of risking that rookie season for the QB and you're not probably going to get a good judge of Joe Judge um you know with a, a new QB so I, I'm I'm very much about you know a clean cut if you're going to make big changes like that. which is perfectly set up for next year with a general manager that maybe gets their guy as opposed to yeah. having to work you know in retrospect on that front. Fair enough. Um, should be noted, the Giants lost 34-10 to the Eagles, which, if it wasn't for results elsewhere, would have been up there for Colin's shellacking of the week, I'm sure, because uh, it was pretty <laughs> bad. Uh, <laughs> David Cully, 4-11. Um, Tom, the Texans beat up on the Chargers this week, and you had that game in detail. Feel free to give a quick recap of that, but do you think a result and performance like that, where they come out and put 24 points up in the final quarter, is like, does that give David Cully another year? Oh, David Cully's safe by every metric, unless the ownership came in going, this is only a one year deal. And if this was never a fair shake to begin with, then he's gone. But if this was a, look, you actually have a chance to, to stay here long term, you know, do your best and you could see out, because I'm not sure if it's a two or three year contract, but I highly doubt it's longer than that. Um, then then by all means, he's done enough. I, I went back, so on the 6th of September, I tweeted out, so the Texans are starting Tyrod Taylor with the possibility of two backup tackles. 
Has a head coach ever won Coach of the Year having won five games? Because David Cully might have to if they manage it. And that feels so dead on about now. Um, it should be noted that they're winning know, they, these they games have... now with Davis Mills. Yes, yeah. So they have stunk it up for long stretches of this season. Um, and it feels like they have done exactly what they should have done this year, which is, as we've mentioned before, sign a bunch of guys to one and two year deals. And basically, if someone ain't good, cut them and get another body through the door and just try and find a bunch of roster fillers for next year. And then if you find a diamond in the rough that, that actually is like a top 10 positional guy, then I mean, brilliant. And if not, then you have a then you have a decent kind of beginning of a roster, and you can look to extend those guys out and 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 fill kind of your your, your lower sort of sixty six percent of the roster. Um, and then out of nowhere came this David Smills game, where he showed kind of everything that he hadn't shown previously. Um, he stepped up in the pocket really well. He sensed pressure. He didn't like kill his O line by holding the ball a ton. Um, he made two deep right sideline throws, which were like if Aaron Rodgers made them, they would be on every highlight reel for the next week. Um, but I think the the major thing that people who are wooing Davis Mills for this performance are kind of semi intentionally leaving out is that boy did they run the ball well. And so consistently he was in second and four, third and two situations, or when he was making those deep throws, they had to respect the run. And so it was a lot more kind of passive pass rushing than it was pin your ears back and really get after the guy. Um, so The LA Chargers, susceptible to a run game, even of mediocre variety? <laughs> yeah. Tell me more, Tom. Yeah, I mean, Rex Burkhead... Treated like he must have thought he saw Bill Belichick on the sidelines. <laughs> just unreal. Um, but the the charges just for the whole game seem to really kind of lose their way. They've built up over the last month this kind of uh, idea of an identity of wanting to be this kind of aggressive pass whenever they want to team. We're going to try and score forty points against you. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, and they just threw short of the sticks and took checkdowns like the entire game. I didn't manage to get the look on like the, the all twenty-two, the coaches film, only on the broadcast view. So I couldn't see whether the Texans were just playing like cover two, cover three, keep everything underneath them, or whether this was a, a kind of a result of of the Chargers missing Mike Williams and Austin Eckler, and so. They threw they threw short a lot more than they had done previously, and I don't know if that was just them trying to keep ahead of the chains, and it just ended up not working. The running game with Justin Jackson was fine. I don't think they really missed Austin Eckler from that standpoint at all, um, but something just didn't quite click, and I think what would worry me more as a Chargers fan is that it's not like Herbert melted down and threw three dumb picks and you're like, well, they got 21 points off of those picks because we gave them 20-yard fields. Like, the Texans beat the Chargers and they deserve to beat them on Sunday. Fair enough. And, yeah, marking their... Uh, David Scully as safe. Uh, Colm, anything to disagree with on that front? Only that I think the the only way I think Cully moves anytime soon 
is if someone external comes into that organisation and says, what the fuck are you guys doing? Because <laughs> I think they're perfectly happy to keep Cully as the head coach, Easterby as GM, and McNair, you know, best friends with uh, with Easterby for as long as, um, as long as anyone's happy for them to do so. It's going to take an outside source to come in and actually change things there. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, perhaps one of the names I should have mentioned earlier because when we covered Sean Payton, uh, we didn't get a chance to mention the 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 Saints lost this week to the Miami Dolphins, who are now the first team to have a seven-game loss streak and seven-game win streak in the same season, which I'm sure like that is like some sort of Jeff Fisher goal that he had in his career. Um <laughs> They won twenty to three. Everything on the Miami side looked to be like a, just a market improvement. Obviously, they were beaten up on a, on a Saints team that are quite bad. But you know, they have schemed around the the league's worst O line and have these really you know quick out short plays and, and are making it work. So, do you think? I mean, I tore into the Dolphins and the front office and everything. And I still, I still would agree with a lot of that because a lot of that wasn't related to Brian Flores. But do you think that Brian Flores is on the hot seat as he coaches his way out of it? Tom, I think this time last year you said Brian Flores needs to make the playoffs or you're potentially reevaluating that position. Do you think that they still keep him on and, and maybe say, right, let's just put everything we have into O-line this offseason? I think... If, if for him to go anywhere now, it would take a crushing final two weeks. Yeah, and I'm talking something like conceding 80 points and only scoring 50. They do have the Titans and the Patriots, so it's possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a seven-game winning streak fixes a lot of ill will and a lot of ill feelings. Um, it is important to note that there are issues early in the season that we documented just as well as anyone is that Jacoby Brissett is not an NFL quarterback, be it back up or not. And so going to Tua, who at the very least can get the ball out on time and generally not kill you, um, is is a marked improvement. And I think what we didn't give them enough leeway for is that once you're not putting your defence in terrible positions down in and down out then actually they kind of get that breathing room and can create pressure up front and they can become average or, or above. Um, I still don't think they're doing enough with Tua. Um, Jalen Waddle is like a carbon copy of Jarvis Landry when he was like two years in the league. Um, and so I think they are a, a fine team who will beat some good teams, but they're not a team I want to watch in the playoffs. But where do you, where, so you mark him maybe then under that heating so up. Flores is safe. Flores is safe. And unless, unless like, as I say, he has a brutal two weeks, but I can't see it. Then we, we mark that as heating up because what we, we've got it as, this could be gone with a bad final two weeks, but mostly safe. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Then, wow. Okay. Then I guess he's heating up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it, it'll become more apparent well, can, as can, to why <laughs> that exists shortly. Uh, Colin, any... can it be cooling down? Can it be cooling down? Because <laughs> sure. it was really hot seven yeah. weeks ago. Uh, Colm, anything to add on Brian Flores? He's safe. Fair enough. I would agree with that. The reason we have that terminology, uh, Tom, in there specifically, is for this man, Matt Rule. Uh, l- <laughs> long, 
vaunted, you know, coach of the Carolina Panthers or, or on this podcast. You know, we we've liked him in the, in the two years that he's had. However, things are heading south. They're heading south bad. Two offensive coordinators now haven't worked out. You know, Joe Brady hasn't worked out. Quarterbacks haven't worked out. Scheme hasn't worked out. They got beat up on 32-6 by the Bucks this week. Column, where do you think Matt Rule sits, really? Like, people keep mentioning in the media, oh, David Tepper's not going to accept this and this and this. He's got a seven-year contract, though. Do you, do you let him get to, to year three and see what happens, or do you think they're going to pull the trigger? So I think I've been on record saying I'm not as high on Matt Rule as the both of you. And, I, you know, I don't think he's had an impressive year by any stretch, but I don't see him being on the hot seat uh, this year. I think he goes into his third year because I think he's shown enough in his two years so far um, that it's worth keeping him about. The, you know, there's obviously a huge question about what's going to happen at quarterback. And I think they do clearly need a new quarterback because none of the three they have on roster at the moment are starting quality anymore. But I would say, yeah, I think he goes into his third year. And again, it's a similar issue where if you get to the bye week next year and you're a two-win team, maybe then you look at firing him. But I so f- don't think there's any concerns for his last two weeks. Firmly on the heating up side of things then, unless they get shellacked back-to-back weeks. I, I don't even see two bad shellackings because they've had a couple bad uh, in the past few weeks. But even then, I think he go- goes into his third year. Tom? I know you said that he's been sliding down your rankings. <laughs> yeah, he's still safe, though. Um, I think the biggest conversation they'll have, and they, it could be one of those where they're called into the office at the end of the season and go, right, what went wrong with this Darnold signing? Um, because we let Bridgewater go, and it seems as though he had the Broncos on pace to get to the playoffs um, before the injury, and that's something that, you know, with this defence... Some you know steady Eddie quarterback would have been exactly what we needed. Um, so why did we let him walk, trade for Darnold, and and then end up playing QB carousel even when he's healthy? Um, that's the position that they need to stick next year. Whether it's trading somehow for another veteran or going for a rookie, um, the thing that would worry me from a Panthers standpoint is that Darnold is guaranteed $18 million of his salary next year due to the options and how they work now. And Christian McCaffrey is on the cap next year for $14.3 million. So you have $32 million tied up in a running back who cannot stay healthy and who, if you wanted to commit to him long term, you could um, restructure that contract, no issue, but... Is that a contract you're looking to get out of after next year? Because generally, paying running backs that much doesn't doesn't bode well for a team's success. Um, and and what what are you going to do with Darnold? Do you just eat it and and give a a, a Brad Taylor TM post June first and get <laughs> the hell out of there? Um, or, or you know what do you, what do you do? Because they they need to figure that out. And without looking at it deep, I, I don't know how much thirty two mil is going to kind of impact what they can do in free agency or extensions, etc. Um, but yeah, there, there is a conversation there that I don't think is necessarily on the field. It's more about evaluation and, and where did the Darnold trade, like why did we get that so wrong? 
So he's safe. <laughs> yeah, safe, <laughs> safe. safe. Yeah, and then, then looking at next year, it's probably one of the ones where it starts to heat up quite quickly um, should things go south. Uh, we've got three more names on this list and a, and a few more games to get into, so we probably quick-fire some of these. Uh, Vic Fangio of the Denver Broncos. They pretty much... I mean, they lost this week to a Raiders team in which, I mean, this game just felt like both teams were trying to lose the game rather than anyone trying to win the game. And it was a slog to watch and get through. Drew Locke was filling in for Teddy Bridgewater. And Drew Locke is not the reason the Broncos lost this game, which is not something that you could say last year about Drew Locke. <laughs> but they did their best. They've got a f- they've got the charges next week. So if you can get Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams firing again and get that run game firing, which should be possible, you've got a chance. But they're looking, and they've got the Chiefs in the final week. So they're looking at they're, they're going to be somewhere around the... Eight nine win total, right? Like they they have pretty much one of those one of those two. I think they they will be one of those games. Do you think that's enough for a Denver team that's lacked an offensive identity, lacks a quarterback, and yeah, they play good defensive football, but they can't get it right on the offensive side? Do you think that's something that they try to solve with a new head coach and a new quarterback, or they try to solve with the new offensive coordinator, Colin? I mean, it's it's playoff or bust for the Broncos. I think that was pretty clear coming into this. Fair play, he's got them still, you know, playing meaningful football uh, going into, you know, the new year. But I think the odds of him actually making the playoffs at this point are pretty slim. And so I expect him to go for uh, a new head coach next year, which is a shame. I do like Vic Fangio. Um, Well, not so much as a head coach, but definitely as a coordinator. You know, he deserved his shot as a head coach and he's had his chance. And I just don't think it's all come together for him. If you want to go for a... I mean, I know you go for a, a he-gone situation. If you're going to bring in, like, a new head coach, like a younger, maybe a younger head coach to, to Jacksonville, Vic Fangio feels like the perfect person to be your defensive coordinator. He'll take an average defense and make them, a, you know, a top 10 defense pretty easily. Oh, he, he will be a hot candidate for defensive coordinator if he still wants to, you know, assuming he doesn't retire, of course. Yeah. Um, he'll be a hot candidate for defensive coordinator for any vacancy that comes up. Tom, anything to add on Fangio? Yeah, I'm surprised Colm's so kind of staunch in his belief that he's gone if they don't make the playoffs. Um, I think you have some very strange mixed signals from the Broncos this season in terms of trading away Von Miller halfway through the season, who, granted, is not the Von Miller that, that he was of old, but that's still a, you know, a good player at a position that it pays to have three or four good players at um so at that point it kind of looked like not that they were necessarily throwing the towel in but it kind of it kind of looked like they looked at the AFC West and went the Chiefs are better than us the Chargers are better than us and the Raiders might be around the same as us so therefore you know we might as well get the two the second and the third rounder when we can um and kind of have a middling season um so I think if everyone's signing off on that it feels like they've they've been given something in the background or else they'd be going, well, what does having a two and a three matter next year if I'm not here to to use well, it, especially? The, the answer to that guy... is the GM secure in his job. But the but for, for you to do that to a defensive head coach and for him to like sign off on it and not say anything is like that that wouldn't happen. Sure. If if they went over Fangio's head and traded away Von Miller from him, 
it, there's no way he would just be like, oh, well, you know, that's how it goes. I'm coaching for my literally for my future in this job. You know, if that's that doesn't play right, that's not how that goes. Um, I I think he's probably heating up. Like I think that's probably the way that goes. Um, but purely because they are they trying to be this defense and run the ball team or are they going to be a team that goes after Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson or whoever it's going to be in the off season um, and really tries to become like an offensive juggernaut team or like what's or is there a point in going after one of those quarterbacks because you're still going to have to play against Herbert and the Chargers and Mahomes and the Chiefs twice a year and generally you know superpowers in the NFL don't tend to come out of super competitive divisions because you end up taking each other out and all having to play three playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. Fair enough. So where, where do you mark him then, Tom? Using the, what we described. I, I said he, I said he's heating up on by our definition, purely purely from like a bad taste in the mouth. You know, starting Drew Lock at the end could get you killed. <laughs> um, perhaps one of the more slightly controversial ones on here, but Ron Rivera... He's six and nine. They're looking at another, you know, sub five hundred season. Playoff football is not going to happen this year because the NFC East, at least one team, has sorted themselves out. So you know, it's not going to be enough to get you into the playoffs. But yeah, he's two seasons in. Doesn't look like he's going anywhere. Do you think he gets a lot of leeway? I mean, I, I've got him as safe, but you know, I think those injuries to those defense to the defense, and then also. The lack of a real starting QB identity. Do you think he's fairly safe, or do you think he could be one of those just random, you know, someone else comes available sort of situations? I I'm seeing him as pretty safe. I uh, particularly well going into the end of this year. Next year, I could see another sub uh, 500 year where maybe he graduates into some sort of, you know, senior executive or advisor to the owner, kind of, you know, like promoting him but firing him sort of things. Uh, but for the for this year, I think he's safe. He obviously had his quarterback go down injured in the first game. He's done reasonably well with the backups. You know, I, I wouldn't say he's coaching at the top level um, and certainly isn't a candidate for head coach of the year, for example, this year. But I think he's done more than enough to keep his job, regardless of what happens in the final two games. Tom? Yeah, I'd agree that he's safe. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, I'd agree that he's safe. Um, the only thing is, does he still want the job? Does he still want to, after battling cancer and everything like does he still want to go and try and find a quarterback somewhere? Or are they going to re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and go, yeah, cool, this is enough? Um, while he's, you know players are punching each other on the sideline and you know some aren't getting vaccinated and that whole situation does he just go you know what I'd rather just spend time with my family get away from this situation because this is not a one-year fix it's not a get a quarterback and suddenly this team is 12 13 14 wins there are other parts of it that need fixed um so yeah, like the, the the only reason I would see him not being there is if he decided to not be there himself. Yeah. And the reason, the main reason it came up was because of the result this week, which was a fifty-six to fourteen loss to the Cowboys, in which they were down forty-two-seven at the half, and I think you know 
the Cowboys are playing just to hit the 50-burger by halftime if they could. Yeah, that's a pretty bad result and rough result. As you mentioned, Tom, they were fighting on the sidelines. There was off-the-field incidents this week, and there's been some of that obviously ongoing as well. There's the whole ethics of who you're working under in Washington uh, as well. So yeah. that could be uh, one of the reasons. But that's what that's why I brought it up. And, Colm, I have to ask, and I think it, it's got to be a slam dunk, right? Was that Washington-Dallas game your shellacking of the week? Well, I mean, I, I thought I knew what it was going to be Sunday night, um, <laughs> which was going to be the Chiefs. Um, but yeah, it looks like... Um, Any chance to sink the boot in? Looks like the Cowboys st- yeah, still about one away. <laughs> yeah, let's see. You can't put up a 50 burger and, and not lose it. It has to be some sort of tragic. It should be noted that the Chiefs beat up on the Steelers uh, 36-10 in, the other, in, in that game and... Yeah, I'm sure Tom... Just go back and listen to any of the previous weeks for Tom's review of the Steelers. Um, they are a bad <laughs> exactly. they are a bad exactly. football team. Uh, and as was the, as the great one said, we are they are who we thought they were uh, in this case. And the Chiefs are, are coasting to the AFC first seed somehow despite playing not their best football. Um, with that said, the final candidate on here, and then we'll just reel through some of the, the game feedback... Uh, is Mike Zimmer of the Minnesota Vikings. It should be noted that they lost 30-23, to which included a hey, desperation field goal is... in the fourth quarter to then get the kickoff and try and recover it. But the most important part, and which is what Tom's alluding to, <laughs> is that was a Vikings one-score game as they continue the streak of one-score losses yeah, Mike Zimmer's well one score one, one score, score games. games win, wins I mean, well, yeah, wins or losses, but mostly losses. Uh, they are seven and eight now. Obviously, a lot in the preseason about where these where the head coach and the teams are at. But we saw this last year, right, with the Chargers. This feels like a he gone situation because we saw this last year with the Chargers, where it's like something is going wrong. That if you're in constantly in one school games and you can't get over that hump, you're misfiring somewhere. You know, pretty consistently, you're doing something wrong along the way. So, yeah, wh- where where do you fall down? I fall down on, and I've obviously said it multiple court times over the year. Mike Zimmer, he gone. <laughs> but do either of you have a strong case for otherwise? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the opposite and say that he's safe. Um, I think that. Halfway through the season, I said if if the defense continues to improve, they have a legitimate shot of winning the Super Bowl, and that did not happen. Um, <laughs> but I think if you if you look at the roster, they could go, they could spend every single one of their picks on defense. They could sign two or three splashy free agents on the defensive side of the ball, and they would then have a roster, I believe, that is ready to compete. Um, now, <laughs> then, if they fail with Zimmer. Fair enough, um, but the the offense is in basically everywhere it needs to be, depending on what your thoughts are on Kirk Cousins. But I, I think when you are that close, or, or I believe they are that close, I think you have to just try and keep the continuity there, and try and add to what you've got, just to to try and smooth over the cracks. And then if it doesn't work, then that's that's when you blow it up. But I think they are they are too close right now to bring in a new guy who might go with 
a new scheme and suddenly Dalvin Cook might struggle to run the ball behind a different blocking scheme. You know, there are so many different things that change with a new head coach that I'm just, I'd be really worried if I, wary if I was them of completely blowing it up right now. Colin? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with Tom there. I think it would be very much a case of getting out of the frying pan and into the fire if you fired Mike Zimmer. You know, I think he's probably a a good, but maybe not, you know, top level head coach. But I think you can certainly do a lot worse than him. And it's a real gamble, as Tom said, to blow everything up and start again with the pieces you already have. Fair enough. We'll, we'll see how that one plays out. Um, there are a couple games left uh, to cover. I'll put some of them in the light touch quickly, and then, Colin, you can probably get into the Cards Colts. Uh, but the Packers beat the Browns in a kind of a nothing game that was somehow 24-22 to the Packers. <laughs> um, it, yeah, really strange one. Baker Mayfield looks more... He looks worse every time I see him play, um, which is not great. That game was on, on Christmas Day. Not the present you want, the Browns. You thought you had the answer, but maybe you don't. There is still a question to be had there. Devontae Adams is ridiculous, and if it wasn't for Cooper Cup, would easily be crowned as probably the best receiver in the NFL. Uh, and Rodgers is currently steaming towards another MVP title, even though I think it should go to Jonathan Taylor. Although, let's see, a, a you know, 100-yard game, was it Columbus at the bar at 35? 35 touch game from, from Jonathan Taylor and the Colts win this week. You know, maybe he, he coots up there as well. Uh, the other game was AFC North action, which was the Bengals at the um, the Ravens at the Bengals. And the Bengals just ran away from this one early. The Ravens were playing their third string pretty much position everywhere. Uh, <laughs> offense, defense, whatever you name it. And Joe Burrow threw for 525 yards, four touchdowns. T. Higgins caught 12 catches for 194 yards and two touchdowns and sat on my fantasy bench in a make-or-break game, which was brutal after I bigged him up at the start <laughs> of the season. And, yeah, the, the Bengals blew away the Ravens. A lot of the talk after this was, oh, did you feel like the Ravens, you know, it was unfair uh, to the Ravens that, you know, you kept running up the score. No. You played to the whistle you play to create this disparity. There are tiebreakers involved all across, you know, in every sort of metric. It's not the Bengals' fault that the Ravens are so injury ravaged. But all credit <laughs> to John Harbaugh. The fact that they got 21 points out of this offense and yet they never look like they're truly dead in a game is it, full credit to him. And, and perhaps an 8 and 9 coach Tom or a 9 and 8 coach could win coach of the year if we lived in a just fair world <laughs> where people didn't can I, vote for Matt LaFleur can I jump in and say yes. something controversial yes so if you're the kind of coach that runs the ball and you know is very key you know plays a lot of strong defense yes it's tough to go down to your 5th 6th 7th running back and you know your 4th 5th 6th you know defensive back but if that's your identity and you're, you know, you're getting players injured at that position, then you need to have, you know, a look at why players are getting injured at that position. <laughs> Any thoughts, Tom? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree that the Ravens should definitely look at why their entire roster is injured. That's definitely a thing that they should do. Um, I believe the stats I saw were that. Oh, I'm trying to remember the numbers now. It was something like the Bengals. The Bengals had like 13 players on the COVID list, 
or I think it was the Bengals had 13 players on the COVID list or on injured reserve, and the Ravens had 39 players on the COVID list or injured reserve. It was something that it's just like, and it almost an entire roster full of players are just unavailable to him. It is unreal, and it is every position. It's not just one or the other. It's it is insane what they have gone through this year. Uh, cool. Colum, Cards and Colts, do you want to walk us through that and then I'll top us off with Bills and Patriots and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Yeah, um, I think I'd call this one an upset. You know, the the Cards seem to be going in reverse gear as they get closer to January, which is a bit of a surprise because they were absolutely flying to start the year. Um, I think Kyler had probably what you'd consider a subpar day, although he was under quite a bit of pressure throughout. Um you know, they were missing um, James Conner, so Chase Edmund was the primary uh, running back. He struggled to gain much in the way of yardage, but he did get a touchdown. And the Colts did a very Colts thing. You know, ran the ball a lot with Taylor, um, and Carson went continually under threw the ball and managed to get DPI penalties. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a very even game throughout, but I think the biggest problem was Matt Prater uh, missed two field goals. And, you know, that was, in the end, the difference in the scoreline. Um, 22-16 for the Colts. Um, do you, I suppose the question I have is, would you agree that the, the Cardinals are getting cold as they get closer to January? Yeah, injuries have ravaged this team from your key offensive weapon to your big defensive investment. They're just they're struggling. And every time I've watched them play... There's been two or three plays a game where Kyler Murray or the or the center just fuck up the snap and it leaves yeah. you a fumble <laughs> or a big sack and it's just you know it just keeps going. It's ridiculous. Like it, it just it, yeah just it just keeps happening from from that side. So the the interesting thing for me though is like they won games with Colt McCoy. As their starting quarterback, they were he started what three, four games, and I think he won two or three of them. You know, they did they did well with Colt uh, as their quarterback, and now they've got Kyler back. But Kyler, I don't know, he just doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders like he was free injury. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's easy to discount what James Conner has done this season, but he does add a pretty significant element to that team, especially when they're also missing Rondale Moore and DeAndre Hopkins, because normally what they would do, I assume in that situation, is flex Chase Edmonds out, you know, start with two running backs, flex Chase Edmonds out, play him out of the slot or whatever, and you can kind of pick your poison, run some RPO, and, and like you create a lot more kind of unbalanced offense that way. Whereas when it's just Chase Edmonds, you, you, you lose an, 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 like an even more additional level of the offense. And then it kind of falls to, okay, how much can Kyler do by himself? And I think even against a team that was missing how many players, you know, I mean, they, they had four, was it four tested positive, like three hours before the game? including Darius Leonard. So even with that kind of in keeping, um, they they still struggled to kind of mount a game-winning, um, like a game-winning sort of strategy, but just purely because they missed James Conner and also one of the best receivers in the game and their big gadget player. Whereas 
I think when they had uh, uh, not Case Keenum, um, Colt McCoy. Yeah, when they had Colt McCoy in there, I believe the only one they were missing was DeAndre Hopkins. I, th- I think that's how that went. Or maybe they still had DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, they had the full, full complement. Yeah, he's been in and out of the team, so it's hard to know exactly when and where he's been more of the. He's been more of a Christian McCaffrey style player this year for them, where he's there and he makes big moments, and then you know is is gone again, which is unfortunate. Um, cool. I'll wrap us up quickly with the the Bills and the Patriots, which was, I think, similar to the last the last week against the Colts, Tom, where we we said you're know, going into the season, we want to see how this Patriots team plays from when they're playing from behind, and to their credit, again, they played well here when coming back from behind, and then absolutely just fell over themselves on the last you know last drive of the game, <laughs> like. They've had some troubles getting to the quarterback recently. Matthew Judon has cooled down massively. But, yeah, they were down 17-7 at the half. And then just the drives between both teams, it started off with a Buffalo field goal in the second half. Then it was touchdown, 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 touchdown. And then a Mac Jones interception. To be fair, they were down 12 at that point. But that last touchdown for the Bills was a great drive from Josh Allen. And it's still very much, okay, this is the Bills playing up to their potential, right? This is what, and, and people come out the people come out and they start hyping up Josh Allen and they're like, oh my God, Josh Allen has done amazing. And they were without Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders and Davis and Isaiah McKenzie has this huge, you know, they start talking a lot. But the reality is, you know, there's still flaws in that game. Like, Josh Allen threw the ball 47 times and completed 30. Like, they don't have a run game at all. Like, that's been exposed. And, yeah, the the, the Patriots are still looking for someone to be that consistent X-Factor player in the receiving game. Kendrick Bourne can make big splashy plays every now and again. They're trying to make Nikhil Harry maybe that player, but... I think the Patriots are looking for that stud-wide receiver that's going to take them to the next level. Both of these teams have a chance to go to the conference game, but I think they need things to break their way you know, pretty pretty nicely between now and then. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be can, too surprised if the Bills beat the Chiefs in the conference game. Can, can I just um, take this opportunity to, I believe, congratulate the three of us that none of us ever got two head over heels with the Patriots. (laughs) We all kind of went, you know, they're they're a good team. They run the ball well. They play good defense. And yes, Mac Jones is having a good rookie season. But none of us, unlike all of the talk shows who granted, you know, they have to be shock jocks and it has, you know, they were ready to crown them the, the cream of the AFC and a possible Super Bowl contender. And just, you know, the three of us had the wherewithal and the sensibility to sit and up. Maybe I had the fear. Maybe that's what it was to stop me from doing it. <laughs> maybe I was just terrified that the Patriots would be that good that quickly again. Um, but, you know, it's, it's very rarely the three of us kind of agree on something anyway. And so to be correct on it and agree on it. So fair, fair play to you two yeah, as well. Thank you. That's all. Would you agree? <laughs> would you, sorry, two things. One, would you agree that Mac Jones is uh, odds on favourite for rookie yeah. of the year? O- uh, offensive? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's him. <laughs> I, I, was, I wasn't banking on him for defensive play for you. <laughs> well, just thought I'd make sure. Um, it's him or the the one that I heard um, after Sunday night, which which 
it would it would be a weird one, but it's possible. Is Creed Humphrey? Yeah, I would. Center with the Chiefs. I would love. I'd for be Creed amazed. Humphrey to get it. <laughs> I, if they if they go and win the Super Bowl, and obviously that would mean them playing three or four, you know, nationally televised games, and Mahomes doesn't get sacked after like if, during the entire run after what happened in the Super Bowl last year, that that could happen, but that is probably the only world where that can happen. Yeah, the other thing I was going to ask you uh, about the Patriots was, did either of you see uh, Bill Belichick's pro- post-game uh, co- um, press conference? Is that where he was asked about New Year's resolutions? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A reporter asked uh, Bill Belichick if he had... She started with, um, this isn't about the game or anything about football, but I'm just asking people if they have any New Year's resolutions they'd like to share and Bill Belichick gives her a good stare for a good few seconds and says, "No, I don't think I do." It's, imagine. And then after... followed it up with, and then and then followed it up later, like the next line with, "Maybe ask me again next week." Yeah. Notoriously, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. very short with reporters. That's just the most troll question you could ask him after losing a game. <laughs> We do like Bill, though. He's going to give you a response somewhere. I love the lines on that front. I don't know. It might just be a grunt. <laughs> right. That wraps us up for this week. Of a, kind of more of a segment than it was an individual game recap. Business may be restored next week, depending on how we feel about the new year and how drunk we all are, uh, <laughs> considering where the football's played. But it's been... An... And Tom's all the ocean. <laughs> yes. Hey, I didn't have audio issues this week, just general computer issues. <laughs> AV issues. Hopefully they resolve themselves. But yeah, it's goodbye for me and a happy new year from me to you all, to listeners. Uh, from from myself, I, I guess I'm going to say bar humbug. <laughs> a nice um, early one for next year. I'll, I'll say happy holidays, uh, but not mention anything about the new year. You inclusive bastard. Lovely stuff. See you all soon. Goodbye. Love you.